Father, we are going to talk about the reality of love and what reality of love in you looks like. Father, many of us have heard of you. Many of us have a lot of knowledge about you. But the true fruit of whether we know you is expressed in love. And perhaps, Lord, all of us are very shortcoming in this area. Love is not an option. Love is a fruit of those who are born again. We pray, Lord, that may these words that we learned this morning not just remain in the realm of ideas and theory and doctrine, but may seep into our emotions and behavior so that we will act out love in our lives. May everything that we do in this short life that we have be done in love. May, you wor- may your words this morning help us to live that way. All this in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is it. We are on the last chapter and the last verses of 1 Corinthians. It wasn't that bad, John. Right? So, so I, I will miss 1 Corinthians so much. We started November 2018, I think. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time, right? Um, we started when Heather first got here, right? I, I remember. So November, it was around October, November 2018, and now we're, we're, we're done. So in the last part of our sermon in this, in this, in this great book, um, let us revisit why Paul wrote this letter in the first place. If you can generalize, the main reason why Paul wrote this letter is to address the lovelessness of the Corinthian church. The house of Chloe, someone from the house of Chloe, came to Paul and she informed Paul of the fractions in the church. Remember, one fraction, one part of the church says, I want to follow Apollos. The other fraction says, I want to follow Paul. And the other fraction says, I want to follow Cephas, who is Peter. So the motive for this letter was the division of the church. But the more we read about this church in 1 Corinthians, the more we we realize how loveless they were. They were loveless not only because they were divided, they were loveless because they were condoning immorality. There's a certain perversion that is going on in the church. And rather than rebuking the brother for the, the immorality, people in the church just left that brother alone. That is lovelessness. Letting sin just be not addressing sin that is destroying a person is lovelessness. They were not only loveless in condoning immorality, they were loveless by suing each other. Any disputes they had within the church, they they were going to the civil authorities and they were suing each other in court. They were prideful in their spiritual gifts. Some of them were extraordinarily spiritually gifted. They were able to do things that were miraculous. They were healing the sick. They were, they were driving out demons. They were praying in a heavenly language. And yet they were loveless. So it is the lovelessness 
No, some of them even had a great theological knowledge. They had a proper understanding of, of Christian doctrine. And yet, rather than using their Christian knowledge to build up their brothers and sisters in Christ, they were using their knowledge to elevate themselves at the expense of the other. Lovelessness is the cancer that was killing that church. It is in, and, and, it, and not only that shows, lovelessness is not only a cancer that causes the destruction of that church. Lovelessness is the cancer that destroys the world. Lovelessness is a cancer that destroys individual nuclear families. Right? I mean, the reason I talked a lot about race in the last three weeks is because, look, let's face it, every news channel you turn on to, it's about racism. Racism is a, form, it is a prime example of lovelessness. Not only we're living in a society of lovelessness, but let's be honest, husband and wife's relationship, we're all, it's often loveless. Friendships are often loveless. And if we can be real in our church, I think there's a lot of lovelessness here too. And yet the ironic thing is, we don't think that we're loveless. And I'm, I'm preaching that to myself as well. We don't think that we're loveless. We think the, it's the lovelessness are the... the, the, the Problems is caused by other people's lovelessness, not my lovelessness. But no, our problems are caused by our lovelessness. Even though Christians are loveless, we still think that our lives are kind of like, and even though we are loveless, we have no problem identifying ourselves with Christ, who is love. We base our Christian identity in so many things, right? Some of us base our Christian identity in our knowledge of the Bible. Some of us base our Christianity in, Christi base, the basis of our Christianity is, I don't know, experience that we had in the past. Maybe some of us base our knowledge of Christianity because, of the, because we serve the church somehow. That we think the basis of our faith is past experiences, we were raised, in, this was our background, or the fact that we're serving the church in some capacity. No. The evidence of our faith, the evidence of whether we know, true, truly know Christ or not, is love. James chapter 2. Faith without accompanying works of love is no faith at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, I can speak in the tongue of men or angels, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. 
Paul is saying the basis of your faith is not your gifts, is not your knowledge, it's not your experience. It's whether you're loving, whether you're bearing the fruits of love. Example is, prime example is Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias was very, arguably very knowledgeable about God. He built his career on defending God, right? The dude had a knowledge about God. But whether he was truly saved is questionable. Why? Because of how he treated other human beings. The guy who had a clear, confident knowledge of God in his private life was using other human beings for his pleasure. Perhaps in Ravi Zacharias' mind, the fact that he has certain knowledge of God was the basis of his faith. And he looked to the knowledge of God as a, as a justification of his faith. But he was blind to the way he treated another human being, other human beings. Paul is saying it's the opposite. Even if you have the knowledge of God, but if you do not have love, that's evidence that you are not saved, and I am not saved. Because this is how salvation works. Salvation works is when God persuades your mind of who he is, that your mind grasps hold of the truth, and that truth permeates within your soul and your emotions and your will, so that you will start to act out love in your life. That's how it works. The truth of God persuades your mind and your soul and your heart. And when the truth of God persuades your heart, it invariably leads to love. That is why stopping at only at the knowledge of God is not the true evidence of salvation. True evidence of salvation is the knowledge of God leading, bearing, leading and bearing the fruits of love. Do you understand? That's how it works. That's how salvation works. God is a source of life and love. He is. The source of life and love, it's outside of us. It is in him and him alone. It is when our whole being recognizes him. His love starts to transform us so that we will bear the fruits of love in our lives. People are loveless. Mankind is loveless because they don't have knowledge of the source of love, who is God. When you start to see God for who he is, he will rebuild our loveless heart and he will make our loveless heart like his heart. That's how it works. Like Humpty Dumpty, we fell, all of our, all, everything about us scattered in pieces, including our ability to love. When we are saved, he puts our loveless heart back together again. He's the only one that can build our loveless heart back together again. He is the only one because he is a source of love himself. This is what I told Jamie and Hill last week in their wedding. In their wedding, I was preaching and then my pants ripped. But man, that was embarrassing. 
And I, I want to keep it a secret for the rest. It was between secret between me and you and Jamie, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go in public. My passport, majorly, like, Breeze was going in there. But it still did not stop me from preaching the truth. And the truth that I preached that young couple is this. You are not the source of love. It is Christ who is the source of love. You will only be able to love each other as you look to him and as he starts influencing you. That's how love works. People get in trouble because they think they are the source of love or the other person is the source of love. No. It's God who is the source of love. And when you are saved, he puts the lovelessness, our ability to love back together again. There is no doubt that the world is racist and divided, and that's true. I'm not denying racism in America. Of course there's racism in America. But the solution to racism, like solution to all hate, is for people to see God. It's for God through Jesus Christ to put, put together, put, to put their loveless hearts back together again. That's the only way that people will be free from racism. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, there is unity, because when we look at Christ Jesus, he puts our lovelessness, our petty differences, the thing that we, the desire for us to elevate ourselves at the expense of others, he put those fallen things he corrects those fallen things in us, and he puts our lovelessness back together again. I was, you know, I was listening to a YouTube clip by a pastor, a white pastor. Is white politically correct, Sean? Can I use the word white? Yeah, right? Yeah, there's a book called White Fragility. So, so there's a white pastor in, in Charlottesville, Virginia. And in his YouTube clip, he says, you know, he was convicted of, you know, like his white privilegedness and whatever, like the narrative is. And he said, I feel so guilty about my white privilege. Um, I started educating my congregation about racism, right? I found that white pastor educating people about racism, about interesting, racism interesting. So he, was, he said, I educated my congregation about racism. Not only that, you know, I, 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 I contributed, you know, I, 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 I gathered our resources of our church to, you know, fight racism in Charlottesville. That's all good. And he said, not only did I do that, I resigned my position as a pastor of the church. Why? Because he says, if, if a white man like me is a lead pastor of the church, I'm not giving an opportunity of a, of a, color, of a, of a minority, right, of a minority to be the leader of our church. So because I want a non-white person to lead our church, I'm resigning the position of my church. Educating his congregation about racism is good, right? Donating money to fight racism, that's also very good. But maybe him withdrawing as his pastorate, maybe, he is mis maybe he's forgetting. The way we combat racism 
it's not through education. It's not only through donating money, but the true way to combat racism, the true way to we combat hate, is for his people and every people around him to see God. There are a lot of churches these days, they're into racist, like, you know, like racism training and all that stuff, and that's all fine and dandy and good. But my problem with all these churches doing these race education, those are all fine, dandy, and good. No problem. But I think a lot of them are missing the solution to racism, which is an individual's heart, group of people's heart to recognize and see and be connected to the nature and the reality of God. Look. They say modern psychology doesn't work because modern psychology is focused on the reason for someone's being, someone being messed up. You go to your psychotherapist, the psychotherapist will analyze what is wrong with you and the root cause of what is wrong with you. But modern psychology cannot solve it because understanding the root cause of what is wrong with you, knowing what is wrong with you, does not heal a person. An objective understanding of reality heals the person, not the root cause analysis of what is wrong with you. So many churches focus on the root cause of racism and understanding racism and all that stuff, fine, dandy, and good. But the solution is still God and Jesus Christ alone. So once again, someone asked me, I have no problem about talking about racism and racism training, all good and dandy. But let us not forget, the one who rebuilds our hearts back together again is Christ. And this is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 16. In 1 Corinthians 16, chapter 14, Paul says, do all things out of love. We do all things out of love because we have been saved by the source of love, which is Jesus, who is Jesus? Jesus Christ. The remainder of the verses, and I'll go quickly. Paul addresses, Paul is instructing the Corinthian church and all of us the various ways, the most practical ways that we love, that, that, we, that we show love in our lives. Right? So it's kind of hidden, but you gotta like, we got to work with me here. In, the, in, in these last verses, Paul is instructing us and the Corinthian church some of the areas in which the, how we, the people that we should love and how we should love them. Let's, let's talk about the first one. Verse 15, Paul says, what did Paul says in verse 15? Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Ikea. Let's stop there. What does Paul's reminding of the Corinthians about Stephanus teach us about love? He says Stephanus was the first convert in Achaia. Achaia is a region of southern part of Greece, right? Southern part of Greece, and it includes Greece and um, Corinthians. Those were the southern portions of Achaia. Stephanus was the first convert in that region. Stephanus was an unbeliever, but he was the first convert of that region. Paul is reminding the Corinthians the work that God has started through Stephanus, 
who was an unbeliever. The word first convert, the word converts here, if you look at the Greek version, it means first fruit. First fruit means Stephanus was the first of many converts in the area. How was Stephanus converted? Stephanus was converted because God loved him. And the love of God was demonstrated by the fact that when Stephanus heard the gospel, God opened his heart so that Stephanus would be saved. The first love, I think, that Stephanus, the mention of Stephanus teaches us is the love that we have to have for the unbelievers. Stephanus was the first fruit of many unbelievers because Stephanus was the beneficiary of God's love. When God sees unbelievers, he doesn't see people who are, who, he doesn't, he not only sees them as people who sinned, but when God sees unbelievers, he has compassion on them. John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus tells his disciples, do you, do you, not, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. When Jesus looked at all the unbelievers in the world, he has seen a mission field. He has seen a mission field where those unbelievers can be converted to truth and he can save them. Jesus looks at the unbelieving crowd with compassion and love. Why did God send Jesus to our world? Because he so loved the world. The world is full of people who love darkness rather than light. The world is full of insane, loveless people. But when he sees the world, he loves the world, has compassion on the world, and he sent his son to save the world. In order for us to evangelize to the lost, the thing that we need more than anything else is a heart of love. In order for us to evangelize to the lost, we need for God to restore, to, to build, to give to us a heart for the lost. Last week, you know, four of us went out. You know, we went to a Korean restaurant, and it was a very fruitful discussion. We were discussing about like, like witnessing to our family members. And I'm so proud of the people that I had lunch, that I had lunch with that day. So proud that I bought lunch for them. Because they're all trying to win this to their family members, and it's hard. It's true. Witnessing to our family members is hard. It's difficult. But as I was studying these verses, what, what, I, what I realized was this. What we need to effectively minister to the people around us is not courage. I thought it was courage that we needed to witness to other people. No, more than courage, what we need more than anything else is a heart to love the lost. I don't think, and I'm including myself, I don't think we're, we're going out there and, minister, and, and, and witnessing for those, for, to the lost. It's because we don't have love for them. We approach them with the truth 
in a very loving way because we love them. And this was further enforced by the fact that I was watching like this YouTube clip by the pastor named Jeff Durbin. He's a pastor in Arizona. And one of his things is he goes to different college campuses or abortion clinics. Not college campuses, he goes to college campuses and also abortion clinics. And he witnesses to like protesters who are who are pro he are he's witnessing to you know the pro pro-choice people. So he goes to a college campus and they're having a pro-choice rally. And Jeff Durbin goes there and talks with the pro-choice protesters. But rather than saying, you're a baby killer, all that stuff, he takes them and he takes them and he has a conversation with them. He tries to listen to their worldview. He asks them pertinent questions, right? And he leads the conversation to the gospel. You could see there is so much love that Jeff Durbin has for those women who think killing babies is a good thing. He reasons with them. He's gentle with them. He acknowledges some of their arguments are, are, is understandable, how they feel, that, that he understands how they may feel about this issue. But he always leads them back to the gospel. I looked at him and said, yes, that's the way you evangelize. You know what I do? What I realized, like, for those of you who know me, like, my prayer request was God giving me wisdom to love my family. And the reason that and God answers that prayer, and, the, re, and, and he, he taught, he, the way he's instructing me is, the way that I love my children is I have to evangelize to my children. But the way that I evangelize to my children, it's not forcing them to believe in some certain things, but it's what Jeff Durbin did. Talking at their level, walking them through their, their, their perceptions of, of reality, and, take it, and, and, then, and then trying to make them see from the gospel point of view. I have like every week, every couple times a week, I have theology class with my daughter. And those theology classes turn out to be an hour. And it's not just me talking, it's my daughter talking. And I listen to her. Teenage girls are complicated, y'all. And I listen to her, and I steer back her to the gospel. This is what, you may think this is what it is, but I think the gospel says this. So I'm having this gospel conversation. I'm witnessing to her. That's how I love my daughter. I don't say, this is the truth. You need to believe in this. I go down. And I had an her level listening to her. Being at her level. That's love. That's the type of love that you need to have. Parents, you need to love your kids enough to witness to them. That's the type of love for the lost that Christ has called you to, to, to have. You need 
the heart for the lost. You need to pray, and I need to pray every day for God to give you the heart for the lost, the love for the lost. Yes, courage is important. Yes, wisdom is important, and opportunity is important. Those are all important things to pray for. But the most important thing you need to pray for, and I need to pray for, is that I will have a heart, that you will have a heart for those who are lost. And you give them the gospel in a clear, direct, and yet gentle and loving ways, just as he has done for you and me. That's how Stephanus was converted. Do you understand? The second thing, second love that we must have, that Paul tells in these verses, is we must have love for the ministry. Verse 15 again. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. The word, so Stephanus was not only the first convert, but he was devoted, him and his household was devoted to ministry. The word devoted here means addicted. Stephanus was addicted to ministry. He was living to do ministry. Oh. He had, and why was he addicted to ministry? Because he was ministering to the saints. What is a saint? Saint Saints are people that God has separated only unto himself. God has created a people, his people in the world. Those are called saints. And according to Reformed theology, which is what I believe in, Jesus Christ has come to save the saints, save his people. When you are saved, when I am saved, he gives us the heart for his people. The example I can give you is like it's a, it's a petty example. Um, my dad was never into a sports team, right? Like I don't. I, my dad was never really into like he was into golf a lot, but you know, golf is boring. He was never really into a sports team or anything like that. But I know fathers who who root for a sports team. And if a father roots for a sports team, their sons also root for, their, for the same sports team. I think it's awesome. I think, I think one of our members, I think he, he roots for the team in Chicago. And his son also roots for Chicago. His, son's never, his son was never born in Chicago. But by the fact that he, his, his father's son, he roots for Chicago. Kind of an example like this. When Christ is God, when he, when he saves you, what happens to is he gives you love for the people that he died for. Stephanus was addicted to ministry because he was serving the saints. The people that he was serving are the people that Christ died for. And he had the love for those saints. He had the love for the ministry because he had love for the saints, which was caused by his love for God. What you and I are called to have is love for the ministry. We love, we're called to love the ministry because the ministry is the opportunity to serve the saints of God whom Christ died for and whom Christ loves. The motive to do ministry 
stems from our love for him, which persuades us to love the people, love his people. Look, I gotta be very careful here. This is a very non-judgmental way that I'm gonna put, so don't be offended. Okay? If you're offended, tell Pastor Wujin. Pastor Wujin will interpret what I'm trying to say. In my his ears in the church. I find that there are a lot of different reasons of why people do ministry, get involved in ministry. Okay, first of all, I'm not talking about anyone in particular. I have no one in mind that embrace it. Don't get offended. It's just a general observation that I looked at, watched for the last 30 years. One type of people serve in a ministry because they're generally nice people. I don't know, their mama and papa taught them to serve people, and they go, okay, and, they, and service, serving the church is how they grew up. So they are naturally service-minded people. There are other types of people, and I'm not talking about you if you think I'm talking about you, but there are other types of people who want to, who sees ministry as the way, as a substitute, not a substitute. It, it, ministry is the way they define their relationship with God. They believe that they're Christian because they're doing ministry. Such people rarely walk with God individually. And they believe that ministry can take the place of devotion to God, of fellowship with God in prayer. They're thinking, as long as I do ministry, that justifies my faith, that justifies my Christianity. And there are some people who look at ministry as the basis, as the reason why they're Christians. They may not say it, but that's how they act. Once again, I'm not talking to anyone in particular. And there are other people who do, who do ministry because that's the way they shine. They want to like, distinguish themselves compared to other people, and ministry is an, is, a, is an opportunity to do that. I am thankful for all the service that people have done in my career. But I want to make things clear. If the motive for, the, for our ministry, if the motive for you serving the worship team, if the motive of you serving the audiovisual team, if the motive of me preaching, if it's not based on love for the saints, two things will happen. Number one, we'll get bitter and burn out. And number two, such ministry will not be fruitful. Fruit is, fruitful ministry is through that ministry, people start to, you start to bear fruit and people around you start to bear fruit. But if your ministry, if my ministry is not done on, by the basis of our love for the saints and our, based on our love for him, then it won't be fruitful. 
Stephanus was addicted to ministry because he loved the saints. And his love for the saints was based on his love for God. This isn't a foreign concept. It's happening in our church. And I give you a couple of examples. One guy I got permission from so I can talk about him, and the other I didn't talk about him so I can't use his name. But I'm going to tell them what the, like, what, like what the guy did. So let's talk about the anonymous guy. That anonymous guy wants to buy a house. And the reason, one of the main reasons why you want to buy, that, buy, a, buy, a, buy a house, it is to provide, embrace people, a place to hang. One of the main reasons for the house is so that people in our church have a place to fellowship. His home purchasing is motivated in part by the love of the saints. And I know my, that brother, and that brother, I can, I can assure you, has love for the saints because he has love for the Lord. I'm always worried about people burning out and people quitting ministry. But that brother, I'm not. Because I know the motive of that brother's life is love for the saints because he loved for the Lord. And I am so thankful for him. Another guy. That guy, June, in the back. Man, I, was I told him I was going to talk about him last week, but I, you know, I'm going to talk about it this week. I look at that guy. He's a young guy. What are you, 27 now? 26? Well, not that young, right? But that guy, he's like the Swiss army knife of embrace. Do you know that? He was at Hill and Jamie's wedding last week, and I was looking at that guy just selflessly giving in service. He selflessly gives in youth group. He selflessly gives in audiovisual. Whatever I ask, he does. And I know it's not because I'm someone special. I know that my brother loves the Lord. And that love for the Lord is translating his desire to serve the saints. There are fruits in those brothers' lives, in those brothers' ministry because they have proper motives. All of us are called to be addicted to ministry. If you're not serving, I am so sorry, but you are not living according to God's will. You're not, I am so sorry to say, but you're not. But the heart, the desire to serve must come from your love for the Lord growing and that love growing, translating into the love for the saints. Ask that kind of heart from God. Next thing that Paul mentions. He says in verse 16, be subject to such of these. He means be subject, submit, obey to people like Stephanus. 
And who is Stephanus? I think he's one of the leaders of the of Corinthian church. One of the ways that you love God and His church is to be submits to be to be submissive under the, the the leadership of whom God has appointed. How do you love God? What is a practical way of loving God? Submit to the leaders that God has appointed over you. Um, Hebrews chapter thirteen verse seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be, will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no advantage to you. The writer of Hebrews is saying this, Christians, the way you love God is you obey the elders of the church. God has given us order. He has given the elders, the shepherds, and he has given the congregation, the members. And the way you love God is to be submit under the elders' leadership. I must give account of how I led you, and you must give account of how, how, how you submitted. Do you understand? God has called us into a relationship, pastor-sheep relationship. And the way you love God is to be submissive. That that sounds so bad. It's for me to lead you and lead you well, and for you to follow well. That sounds like such an ego trip. But listen to me carefully. The authority that Paul talks about, the Hebrews talks about, the authority, my authority, the shepherd's authority over you can only come from the word of God. I do not have the right to tell you where to live. I don't have the authority to tell you what job to take. I don't have authority to tell you who to date. I mean, if you're dating unbelievers, I have the authority to tell you not to do it. Because that's clearly going against God's will. But the general areas of our lives, I have no authority to tell you what to do. Some crazy churches think the pastors have so much power. One church that I know, if you want to date someone, you got to get the pastor's permission to date someone. There's no biblical basis for that. My authority over you is that I, my authority authority is based on the word of God. And my job is to teach it as faithfully as I can and for you to follow the teaching. That's what biblical authority is. Churches go in dangerous places when they misunderstand pastoral authority. What I teach you, consider, is from the Lord. And I'm trying to teach you not based upon my perceptions of things, but faithfully on the word of God. If I strive to faithfully teach the word of God, you must submit to what I teach. I must submit to what I teach. If you have a hard time submitting to what is being taught, ask the Lord for a heart to submit to what is being taught. Understand, the things that are shared on Sunday, it's not 
for just an intellectual exercise, but a revelation of God's will for you and for me. Recognize that and strive to submit it. Submit to it. Everyone understand? The third, fourth thing. Verse 17, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortress and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they, have, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Verse 17, 18, Paul talks about three people who are visiting him. And the three people who are visiting him were a source of refreshment for Paul. Paul had the hardest ministry in the history of the church. Paul, no one did ministry, no one suffered for the ministry. I'm talking about humanly, not Jesus. Humanly speaking, no one suffered for the ministry more than Paul. And think about ministry is it's a constant expenditure of energy. Paul is pressured, Paul is threatened, and also ministry, it's all about giving and giving and giving and giving. Paul needs refreshment. Paul needs encouragement. The word refreshment means revival. It's like, you know, your, your phone is low in battery, you charge it, and it's like, ding, ding again. That's the idea. The, Paul needs to recharge. Paul needs to be refreshed. And these three brothers were the, were the people that God used to refresh Paul. All of us are called to be a refreshment to each other. Did you know that? All of us are burdened. All of us expend energy. And the call of each Christian is to be a source of refreshing to another Christian. There is a sister I know of who is burdened. Who, was like, who has a hard time because of COVID, one sister reached out to that sister and was a source of refreshment to that sister. It's going on. Christian, your calling is to be a refreshing, a source of encouragement, a source of nourishment, a source of recharge to the fellow brothers in Christ. One brother was talking to me about one day, a couple of weeks ago, he was being downtrodden, downcasted. He received a text message, an autumn, a random text message from a brother in the church. That text message, it recharged him so. You and me, you and I need to be a source of recharging refreshment to the people of our church. But here's a caveat. You can only be a source of refreshment if you are refreshed in the Lord. I know this firsthand. If I'm not spending time with the Lord, if my mind is not put on straight every day by the Lord, I'm not good to you. I can't be a source of refreshing to you. I can take you out, buy you lunch. Why not? I'm rich. I can buy you lunch. But if I'm not refreshed by the Lord, me having a meal with you will not refresh you. Because we refresh each other by leading, up, leading, leading each other back to the Word. Look, I love, I'm addicted to going to small groups. I'm addicted to going to small groups. A couple of reasons. Number one, really good source of sermon illustration, right? 
If I need some stories to talk about, I go to small group. But number two, more importantly, I go to small groups because I am refreshed in that small group. And I'm refreshed because we talk about the word of God. And just talking about it refreshes my soul. For you to be a source of refreshment, be refreshed by the Lord. Oh, Christian, that's that's the highest calling. That's one of the best callings. A source of refreshment and revival. Francis Chan, when he was pastoring his church in California, he said he would ask his associate pastors, how many of you pray less than one hour a day? Please tell me, so if you, because if you pray less than one hour a day, I'm going to fire you, he says. Francis Chan is willing to fire associate pastors who do not pray for one hour a day. And I said, that's kind of harsh and legalistic, but now I understand. Because I know now, that a man who doesn't spend time, a pastor who doesn't spend time with the Lord cannot be a source of refreshment to anybody. A praise leader, I, want, I don't want to call you out, a praise leader who doesn't spend time with the Lord cannot be a source of refreshment in, in refreshing in worship. A, a small group leader who was not constantly refreshed by the Lord cannot be the source of refreshment to a small group. We do quiet times, not only for our spiritual nourishment, it is so that we, so that we can do ministry. Everyone understands? Ask the Lord to recharge you so that you can recharge others. Next couple of things, I'll end in two minutes. I'm sorry, it's long, but this is the last First Corinthians, so bear with me. Verse 19, the churches of Asia... Send you greetings, Aquila, Prisica, together with the church in their house. Send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All brothers and sisters, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's talk about a holy kiss. Paul is instructing the Corinthian church to give each other holy kisses. The way they greet each other back then was the brothers and sisters get, like, they would greet each other with a holy kiss. You know how Europeans do it. It's very awkward for emotionally, you know, repressed Asians, right? We're not really physical that way. But Greeks back then, the way they would greet each other was through a holy kiss. A physical sign of affection. Obviously, that's not our culture right now. But the thing that we can extrapolate from greeting each other with a holy kiss is the importance of gathering together. Because you can't greet each other with a holy kiss unless you're gathered together physically. You need to, Paul says, show affection to each other as you gather together. The church is meant to gather together and show affection to each other. That's why online, as great as it is, it doesn't really give, it doesn't really satisfy your satisfy your spiritual longings. Because we're designed for God's people to get together and show affection to one another. Pray that this whole COVID thing will be over so that we will get together and, and encourage and show affection to one another. And last thing. Paul says, verse 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. 
Paul closes his letter saying, if anyone does not love Jesus Christ, he should be condemned. A cursed person is a person who doesn't love Jesus Christ. That sounds very politically incorrect. Anyone who does not love Jesus Christ is damned, he says. That's how he ends his letter. And that sounds harsh until you think about it this way. Jesus Christ is the truth, the way to salvation, and he is the life. He's the source of life. If you are not loving him, you are rejecting truth. You are rejecting salvation, and you are preferring death over life. Those who do not love Jesus Christ is rejecting truth, rejecting salvation, and rejecting life. Therefore, those who do not love the Lord is cursed. I was, I was willing to Dave Ramsey yesterday. You know Dave Ramsey, the financial guru guy? God bless him. I was listening to his interview with Ben Shapiro. And Ben Shapiro asked him, what's the most important thing that, that you want to tell people in the 20, 21st century? And he says, the most important thing that people need to understand is what they believe is the most important thing. He says, what the, because what they believe controls how they think, and how they think controls how they feel and the decisions that make with their money. The underlying belief, it's the belief that dictates everything about a person's life. If if a person believes in a lie, then their lives will be all lies and it will fall apart. The most important thing for our ability to love, for our ability to be a source of refreshing, for our ability to, you know, be an encouragement, to love the ministry, to love the lost, comes from our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our heart for the lost, our heart for the ministry, our heart for the being a source of refreshing, everything contingents upon your belief in Jesus Christ, your love for Jesus Christ, and my love for Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that your love for Christ will deepen so that all the other areas of love can be rebuilt in your life. 